Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, who will lend Allah a good loan <laughs> so that he may repay it manyfold? And Allah constricts us and expands us and to him shall we be returned. Well, the loan to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is obvious. Everything we have is borrowed. Nothing we have that is of any worth will accompany us into the grave. We all hand it back to somebody or another. It goes into the family. It goes into the pockets of the tax inspector. Somebody else will get their hands on every last penny. Our cars, we will give back the keys to our houses, it all goes back. And we go back to our Creator. So we lend to Allah certain things that are conscious. We make sacrifices. We say, I am not going to enjoy this particular moment for this particular film. I am going to make use of this particular moment to go to the mosque, perhaps. Make that effort to catch the prayer to help out with food distribution, to help with new Muslims, whatever that might be. There are so many ways in which we can overcome our own usually lazy habits and do something that is more directly for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he repays, as he has said, with unimaginable halal interest. <coughs> the dividends on that investment, on that loan, are inconceivable. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is purely giving. And we are not loan sharks. His hands are always stretched out. And his storehouses can never be diminished, let alone exhausted. So we are given this offer. Let us take it seriously. And then the verse says, and Allah contracts things and expands things. The most obvious sense of this is that it's about wealth Sometimes the bank balance goes down. Sometimes it increases. And this is Allah's provision, his rizq, his determination. And eventually we hand it all back and we are handed back by the angel of death to him, the only infallible accountant, but alhamdulillah, one who overlooks and overlooks and overlooks so many faults and failings, alhamdulillah. To go back to a strict accountant would be a hopeless and a terrifying thing for each and any one of us, but he is Arham al-Rahimin, the most generous of the generous. But these are two names that he mentions in this ayah. Yaqbid or Yabsut. He contracts and expands things. And these are two divine names in the approved list of 99 beautiful names, which is listed in the hadith, narrated by Imam Tirmidhi. He is al-Khafid and al-Rafiq, he is the one who lowers and raises. He is al-mu'izz wal-mudil. He is the one who honors. He is the one who brings low. But he is also al-qabid wal-basit. The one who squeezes and the one who expands. It means something like that. Squeezes because he is the one who is all-powerful and we are helpless in his grasp. Everything is qabdatuhu yawm al-qiyamah. Everything is his, in his fist, almost literally means that, on the last day. 
He is the one who yaqbidu or yabsut, who contracts and expands. So this idea of al-basat, the one who expands, who opens things for us, who opens new horizons, who makes us grow, who makes the child grow, who makes the springtime, this is fairly clear. But he also has this other name, because everything apart from him is on a cycle, whereas he is eternal. Uh, he is also al-qabid, the one who brings things back again and diminishes them. And this has something to do with life, life itself. There's something about the quality of life on earth that is about growth and is about shrinking again. Life comes to an end, except for the divine life and except for the immortal human soul, which is this mysterious, extraordinary exception. So Al-Qabid is the one who brings things together again with a tightness. And if you look at your own body, you consider the heart. It expands and it contracts. It fills with blood and then it squeezes the blood in this extraordinary, miraculous, but under-thanked-for blessing until it goes through the arteries and the capillaries and the veins of the body to bring the refreshment of oxygen to every one of our parts. The lungs, similarly, as we've realized during COVID, they expand and we can breathe in and they contract and we breathe out. This is the essential meaning of this al-qabid and this al-basit. So we can see it in our bodies, but we also know, and this is really what I want to think about today, that it happens in our souls as well. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad, and that's a kind of obvious part of every human condition. And even animals can seem to be happy and can seem to be sad. But in the human soul, there's something deeper than this, and states uh, that are not shared, as far as we can tell, with any other order of creation. Sometimes we feel down. There is a shadow across our heart. And we don't know what the reason is, although it's usually a good thing to think about what the reason might be. Maybe we could do something about it. It's one of the mysteries of the self. But sometimes there seems to be no reason. Perhaps it's an accumulation of consuming the wrong things, watching too much bad news or too many horror films or whatever it might be, maybe listening to too many politicians' speeches, whatever it might be, and we feel kind of a bit dismal, depressed, down, out of sorts. And we feel in that state something akin to what this divine name refers to, al-qabid. We feel squeezed, almost like a physical pressure. If you talk to somebody who has had the misfortune of panic attacks, real anxiety, long-term depression, it has a physical manifestation. The, the chest feels as if it's squeezing. It's painful, almost like a heart attack. It's, it's qabd, literally, even though there seems to be nothing outwardly wrong. It's not a heart attack, but it is a squeezing. Sometimes when we feel down, and we feel depressed about the world and about the misfortunes of our life, maybe a loved one has recently died, maybe a job for which we applied hasn't come through. Life is like that. We feel these times of darkness depression, anxiety, fearfulness, and sometimes 
that's made worse when we think, I really shouldn't be like this at all. We think, this is a lack of iman. After all, Allah is ala kulli shay'in qadir, he is powerful over all things. So, do I not believe in that? This was fated to happen. Should I not be calm and just say, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. Insha'Allah, I do say that. And that will help. Hmm? But we are still human. Hmm? Remember the state of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, that noble human, when they were together in the cave. The second of the two, when they were in the cave, and he said to his companion, the companion being the Siddiq, radiallahu anhu, do not be sad. Allah is with us. He knew, but he needed to be reminded. That's the usual human predicament. We need to be reminded, which is why it's usually best to be in the company of other people rather than just recycling one's anxieties on one's own, which we saw a lot during the COVID lockdowns, mental health epidemic, depression, anxiety, all of these things in our community as well as in others, unfortunately even though, alhamdulillah, Muslims tend to live in families rather than flying solo. So we find this, if it's in the heart of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu an, and we know that the pagans of Quraysh are out to kill them, because this is the last point of the hijrah, and they are defenseless in the cage, only Sayyidatna Asma bringing them provisions, risking her life, the great heroine, by night. So many against them. It's a poem about this. The prophet with one faithful friend in the dark cavern stood, a thousand foemen scouring round, intent to shed his blood. Alas, my master, spake the liege, our term of life is sped. I hear the murderous bands approach, intent to strike us dead. Be not afraid, in accents firm, the prophet's voice replied. For God is mightier far than they, and God is on our side. Will he we live? No mortal power can take our lives away. Will he we die? To him we pass. No need to feel dismay. Oh, thus may we, through life's rough voyage, with all its tempests cope, make God the rock on which we cast the anchor of our hope. Come wheel to him, we give the praise. Come woe on him, we rest. In death is bliss, the heart's assured. Whatever he wills is best. We hear this and we know it, but we also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us out of weak clay. We are not supposed to be robots that are never afraid, that never feel down, that never have this darkness in the heart. And the beauty of the Holy Prophet وسلم, is that when we are down, we know that he was with us and is with us. He has been through that because he is human. The best of all humans, the ruby amongst stones, but still of our material of the same clay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is often consoling him. Consider his situation in Mecca, with a small group of believers, persecuted, beset on all sides by people who are deliberately harming them, blaspheming them, poking them in the eye, killing some of them, those who were weak who they could get at. Huh? 
And what does Allah says? We know that your sadr, your chest, your heart is squeezed by what they say. And Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, the same thing. Sadri, he's complaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wala yantaliqu lisani fa'arsil ma yahal ila harun. My heart, he's saying to Allah, is compressed and my speech is not very clear. Give me Harun to help. So this is of the Anbiya, alayhim wassalam, the greatest of humanity, these amazing superheroes, above all superheroes, who lived uh, with the poor, for the poor, for justice, submitting to every kind of outrage in fear of their lives. Uh, every one of those Quranic prophetic stories is about how the struggle for justice and for truth and for tawheed is a struggle. And the one who does it is at risk. And so this diq al-sadr is a reality and he had it alayhi salatu wasalam. Do we not recite in the prayer أَلَمْ نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صَدْرَكَ وَوَضَعْنَا عَنْكَ وِذْرَكَ الَّذِي أَنْقَضَ ظَهْرَكَ وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to his chosen messenger says, have we not brought expansion or relaxation calm to your breast? أَلَمْ نَشْرَحْ لَكَ صَدْرَكَ And have we not removed your burden which well nigh broke your back? and raised your name. This is the Lord of the worlds consoling his messenger. His, the messenger was like us in a state of concern, sorrow. His friends were being killed. Paganism was rampant. The poor were neglected, all of that. And he is on his own in his house with a few allies and the Arabian world around him is against him. So what is this lifting of the burden? If you open the books of Tafsir, you'll find sometimes they say, we lifted your burden means we saved you from the burden of the, the weight of the jahiliya. Because alhamdulillah he didn't worship idols, he was not part of that horrible world. He was free. And to be a person of real tawheed and real tawakkul is a great freedom. But some of the ulama also in the same books of tafsir says another meaning can be we have raised from you the burden that is on your sir, which is like your innermost nature, and your bewilderment. He's human, like ourselves. We are in those states sometimes. He was in those states, even though the threats that he was confronting were infinitely greater than anything that we're likely to confront. Still, he was in this state. And this is the meaning of this surah. So there's great solace in considering the sorrows of the chosen one, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and in realizing that it's not such a bad thing to feel a little bit out of control. A loved one dies, and you know you should just really have sabr and deal with it, and, but no, there is something within us, a metabolism, a form of being, even in our biology, that has to go through certain coping mechanisms. And it's natural and normal to be sad. He had, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the full range of human emotions. One of the Sahaba said, I never saw anybody smiling more often than he smiled, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But often he wept. 
his sons died, and in each case, he wept. So you think about the oppression that he faced, surrounded by this scorn, and scorn is a particularly hard thing. Nowadays, we have all kinds of laws against slander and libel, and you say the slightest thing against somebody and you're in court. No courts in Mecca, no law, just the rule of the jungle, and the strongest prevailed. وَكَانُوا يَرْمُونَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ بِرَحِمِ يُصَلِّي The idolaters used to throw the entrails or the uterus of sheep upon the Holy Prophet while he was praying. That's pretty extreme. They would laugh at him. And then the catastrophe occurs yeah, as his supporters progressively move away, some of them go to Abyssinia, some of them die. And there are five particular adversaries who've made it like their life's work. They're all his neighbors uh, to make his life miserable. this is one of so many accounts. Sometimes they would throw dust on him. Sometimes they would go up to him and they would say, here is a dead bone, and they would crumble it and blow it in his face, saying, are you going to bring the dead to life? Mockery every time he went out. Abu Lahab's wife spreading thorns in his path. Very extreme. One incident like that and we'd be hurt for years. For him, it's a way of life. So they would throw dust on him and he would go back home, according to the seerah, and one of his daughters would wash his head and cry. And he would say, don't cry, my little daughter. Allah will protect your father. He's concerned for her. He's concerned for them. A few years ago, when they were digging to expand the holy mosque in Mecca to incorporate more uh, hujjaj and mu'tamirin, they found the outline of a house. That it was a house that had obviously been kept there for many years. And immediately, the historians realized this is the house of Khadija. The house of Khadija bint Khuwailid. And there are photographs, they even published a book, which I've seen, which is a nice book, Arabic and English, you can see each of the rooms. And they compared it to what the historians say, Al-Azraqi, the great historian in his history of Mecca, describes it, and it is like that. And they found one room, which they found had half a roof over it. And Azraqi says, that is the room where he would go, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, with Khadija and his four girls, because the neighbors were throwing things over the walls in order to humiliate him. All of their rubbish, their compost, bones, food, whatever it might be, would go over. So they would shelter in that space, because that was a place where they were protected from this stuff that was landing. So I saw this in the book, it's very moving. That's extreme. So, yes, your heart is made constrained by this. And then the catastrophe happens, uh, the amal huzn. How could things get worse? But things get worse. Khadija, 
his soulmate dies. And Ibn Hisham, the author of the Sira, when he's commenting on this huge blow to the Holy Prophet's outer life and his inner life, says, كانت له وزير She was like his deputy in truth, and he would find solace in her. That's what a good wife does. She's the place to go if you need consolation. At that first amazing moment of revelation, Iqra, where did he go? He went back to her. And she was the one who covered him and consoled him. Yeah, that was a close, close, close marriage. But now she's gone. Abu Talib also dies, who was like his political protector who shielded him from much of the persecution, but now they're all around him and everywhere, and it becomes more and more difficult. Just him with the four little girls in this little house near the Kaaba. Sometimes they say that when they'd thrown something particularly horrible into his house, he would come out into the street and cry, Ya Bani Abd Manaf, Hada, O family of Abd Manaf, one of the noble families of Quraysh, what kind of neighborliness is this? and would throw it in the road so that people could see what, what was being done to him. That's extreme. But we are told, Yes, of course, you find this difficult. And this happens again, of course, even after the Hijrah, new difficulties. Whenever we think we are free of some problems, life chucks others at us, and that's what life is. Ibn Hisham says, The misfortunes came hard and fast, one after the other, upon Allah's Messenger. In Medina, the backstabbing of the Munafiqeen, the difficulty of some of the non-Muslim tribes, the ganging up of all of the tribes against this little community, a risk of death, a risk of desolation, uh, catastrophes. But in all of this, we find that he finds his solace in prayer. Because prayer is a time when you know that there's only one thing you should be doing. One of the meanings of the takbir at the beginning of the prayer is Allahu Akbar, and you, as it were, physically, very good for the soul, this, and for the psychology, push behind you all of that stuff. Because there's only one thing that you should be doing in the prayer, and you know that, which is standing before Rabbil Alameen. All of that stress, all of that anxiety, don't recycle it now. There's something more important. Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum is watching. Forget the other things which are just ripples on the surface of the sea and have no long-term reality. Remember the seerah of the Chosen One, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All of those misfortunes, which seemed so terminal at the time, they came to an end. Our misfortunes also come to an end. Think about past misfortunes when you thought, this is it, I'll never smile again. Uh, that came to an end and life went on. So it shall be with this present misfortune. The shadow will leave the heart. The sun will come out again. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates this with bidhikri lahi tatma'inul qulub. What is he told in those times of persecution, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Wasda' bima tu'mar, wa'arid anil mushrikeen, inna kafaynaka al-mustahzi'een. 
Proclaim what you've been ordered to proclaim. Turn aside from the idolaters. We are enough for you against the mockers. The blasphemers, the mockers, Abu Lahab's wife who made little poems in order to laugh at him. We are sufficient for you against the mockers. We know this, we hear it. Sometimes we put that verse on our walls as calligraphy. I've seen that and it's so beautiful. We are enough. He is the abiding. He will outlast our enemies. He will outlast our sorrows. He is the just who will settle all scores with mercy at the end of time. Things will ultimately be all right. And this is what the Holy Prophet is told with his uh, sorrow and his sadness. The ulama sometimes write books called Ahzanun Nabi, the sorrows of the Prophet. And they list all of these misfortunes. Uh, and you think that was a life of grieving and of threat and of depression. But no, no one smiled more than him, sallallahu alayhi wa But he did go through those valleys and he did have those experiences of uh, the, the burden, the thuql upon his heart. So what we need to do in our times, which are times of endless misfortunes and burdens, whole Muslim countries being destroyed, waves of refugees coming from the Ummah into the abode of non-Islam, catastrophes of government, misfortunes in our lives, so many things that sometimes seem overwhelming. Well, the Holy Prophet وسلم, also faced overwhelming difficulties and he felt this, the diq al-sadr, the Quran itself said, he himself felt that, uh, but he persevered. He says it again, with hardship comes ease. With hardship comes ease. Not just because ease comes after hardship, but there is a certain ease within hardship because it makes our spirits grow. It's what makes us human. It's what helps us to transcend even the angelic realms. There is something within us to which even the angels can bow down. But this is the world of Ibtila. The world where there is light, but there are also shadows. The world where there is bust and also qabd. But this is all part of the divine pattern and the divine wisdom. And we see so little of the reasons for it in our little horizontal brief lives. But we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his wisdom and his omnipotence and his justice has arranged things according to a perfect plan. And we just have to have patience. When you've finished, continue and make your journey towards your Lord. We are all on that journey. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help those of us who are currently saddened, the sickness and the death of loved ones, difficulties in the world, rising prices, unemployment, sorrows in countries of origin, climate change, all kinds of sources of diq al-sadr. It's natural for us to be concerned because we are Bani Adam. But remember the gift of faith. It's interesting to read a book by Barulan Shalamov, which I recently finished. He was a Russian in the mid-20th century who Stalin had sent to the gulags, this huge, horrible, atheistic, inhuman idea that human beings were 
nothing more than meat machines, and you could do with them as you pleased, dialectical materialism. So he spent 20 years in a hard labor camp digging gold with primitive equipment out of the ground in the far north of Siberia. To get there, you, to this day, there is a road called the Road of Bones, uh, because the road is built entirely on foundations made of the bones of the prisoners, and it's more than 100 miles long. One of the great evils of our time. And he says that in these camps, the people who survived were either the people who tricked and bribed and managed to somehow get away with things, or they were the people with religious faith. They were the ones who tended to survive, who managed. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us, in our times of difficulty and darkness, and the whole ummah in this current time of tribulation, strength and trust, and inshallah to remember that ilallahi tasiru umur, to Allah all things are traveling. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين إنه هو الغفور الرحيم